Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the gridiron universe of the silver and black. You're tuned into Just Pod, baby. Your go-to destination for all things Raiders. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. This podcast is proudly brought to you by SportsNot.com, the unfiltered sports juggernaut. Whether you're a diehard Raiders fan or just looking to stay in the know about this iconic franchise, you're in the right place. We are the Raiders. We represent the Raider Nation. Now, here's your host, Evan Grote. Welcome back, Raider Nation. This is Just Pod Baby. I am Evan Grote. You are you, and we are here now to talk Raiders football. Las Vegas coming off the bye week to take on the Minnesota Vikings at home in week 14. This podcast is brought to you by SportsNot.com. I am a video segment producer for the website, so please... If you're a big-time sports fan, please go check out some of the stuff that we've uh, created for you, putting out a lot of content. Also, head over to our YouTube channel, the Sports Not YouTube channel. Subscribe if you like what you see. And speaking of subscribing, please click that follow button right now on this podcast, wherever you may be getting it from. I'm always looking to grow the audience, so please join in. Now, it's week 14. We are in the month of December, just a couple of weeks away, away now from Christmas, Five games remain on the schedule, and I know that it's been another very difficult year for Raider fans, but let's try to enjoy the last few weeks of the season because we all know once it's over, we're going to miss it. (laughs) We're going to miss it, and uh, we're going to be looking to get our our football fix, and I hope that you follow the show uh, so that you can get it here from me on Just Pod Baby. I was doing some thinking this week, and actually I was asked the question this week, what am I looking for? in the final five games of the season. Because to me, and this is just my opinion, so feel free to disagree, feel free to badmouth, say whatever you want about me, I don't think the playoffs right now are an option for the Raiders. Mathematically, no, they are not eliminated. I just don't think, based on what I have seen from this team all year, that they're going to be able to you know, run the table, win four out of five, I just don't see that in the cards. Now, I know Renfro said, why can't we win five, run the table? The 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 team believes, and that's great. A lot of the fans believe, and that's great. And I don't ever want to say never after what I watched the team do in 2021, but to me, I'm being realistic. I think it's extremely unlikely at five and seven, currently the 13th seed in the AFC, I just don't know if it's possible that the Raiders can get into the playoffs, even if they were to win out. I'm not sure that would be enough anyways. So I thought that would be a good topic for the show this week. It's it, you know, something else. It's always hard for Raider fans that when you get to that point in the season where it looks like the playoffs are slipping away, kind of where the Raiders are right now. Some people say, you know what? Lose the games, improve the draft pick. And then the other part, then you have other fans who say, no, I want to see signs of progress. I want to see wins. I want something to build on going into next year. And and many fans will call you crazy if you're one of those fans that hope for a loss and and want to see the draft selection improved. But then others say, well, what's the point? What, what good does eight and nine or nine and eight do for you? That's purgatory, as I like to call it. I put the question out there on X. 
what are you looking for in the final five games? I will give you some of my thoughts on what I am looking for. That will be the main topic of the show this week. And then in segment two, we do have a guest this week. We will be joined by Matthew Collar, who covers the Vikings for purpleinsider.com. And he does a great job with them. He has a podcast on the Vikings. He writes articles for the website. So he has a really good feel for the Vikings. And I'm excited to have him on uh, the show this week. Uh, so make sure you stick around for that segment. And also, he just wrote a book recently that came out in October. Uh, it's all about analytics and, and, and how the sport has really uh, developed into being driven by all the data that's out there from pro football focus and whatnot. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about the book as well. So that's your rundown for the show this week. I, let, let's get it kicked off this week with some quick headlines. Now, not much to report on this week, but the NFL did release uh, each team's candidates for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, one of the most prestigious honors in all of the NFL. I've heard players talk about that. And, and to some of these guys, this is a, a better honor than winning MVP or they put it up there with winning a Super Bowl. Max Crosby was selected for the Raiders, a great honor, not only for a great player on the field, but a great guy, a great story as well of someone who was not heavily recruited out of high school, went to a smaller Division One school, Eastern Michigan, became a fourth-round draft pick, had some issues once he got into the NFL with alcohol abuse. The story is well-known at this point. Got his life together and has dedicated himself to his craft and is now turned himself into one of the best defensive players in the NFL. In the conversation this year, again, as he was last year, for Defensive Player of the Year. And just some numbers for you, just to kind of remind you of what he's been able to do. You see it week in and week out. He's tied for uh, sixth in sacks right now with 11.5, which is only one shy of his career high, which is 12.5. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him uh, reach the career high milestone this week or even uh, break the record for him. Um, he is second in in the NFL and tackles for loss with 15. Number one on that list is uh, Daniil Hunter. He leads the NFL with 18, who the Raiders will face this week against Minnesota. And according to Pro Football Focus, he is fifth in pressures with 64 and third in quarterback quarterback hurries with 47. So once again, Crosby is getting it done on the field as well as off the field as he is nominated uh, for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. And what makes it so much more amazing, you know, to what he's doing on the field is that once again, he's getting it done with no help. I mean, let's be honest. There is, there's no help there on that defensive line again. And so it, it's great to see congrats to Max. As I said, many times on the show before he represents everything you want in a leader and, uh, you know, a player on your team to represent your organization. And, and speaking of leadership, that's another area where he has just taken huge steps. He has taken on that role, not only the way he plays on the field, but he's much more of a vocal leader now and the way he carries himself and the work that he puts in. Um, he's without a doubt, he's the face of the franchise, the alpha dog in the locker room. And, and this is no doubt, this is his team. And I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that out to, uh, to start the show. But now I want to move to the main topic 
of segment one, and that is where are you, uh, or excuse me, what are you, what am I looking for in the final five games? Now, I saw an article to go back to my point about how I don't think the Raiders have a legitimate shot right now at the playoffs. I saw an article in the New York Times, uh, I think I was reading it today, I'm not sure exactly when it came out, where they went through and listed all of the teams in the NFL and their current percentages of them making the playoffs. Las Vegas right now, and I'm not trying to bring it down or I'm not trying to be overly negative, but this is what the article said. They had Las Vegas with a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs. So that's why I used the word unrealistic in my tweet on Thursday. The fat lady hasn't officially sung, but she's getting close. And based on a lot of the responses that I got from you guys on that Twitter question, a lot of you disagree with me. So I really appreciate the positivity coming from the fan base, the optimism coming from the fan base. And that just shows why uh, you guys are some of the the best fans in the NFL. Uh, So again, if the playoffs aren't in the cards for the Raiders, or if they are just regardless, what are you hoping to see? Now, again, a lot of positivity on the responses on X I thought about it. I came up with a list of three things that I would like to see in the final games. I'm going to start with number one. I want to see if the defense can continue to move in the right direction. They have played much better, uh, much higher than my expectations were for them this season. I I think collectively, most people thought the Raiders defense would struggle this year, but they have been a pleasant surprise for this football team, and they've been more consistent and more efficient than the offense by far, not even close. They've been the stronger unit, and you cannot say that in recent years. Now, in 2020, the defense ranked 26th in yards and points allowed, so they were a bottom six defense. They have improved drastically in both of those areas this year, and I know there's many ways that you can measure the success of a defense, but to me, Number one, it's about how many points are you allowing, right? You can't allow them to score many points. And then, of course, the NFL likes to judge it based on yards. Now, in terms of yards allowed per game, they are ranked 20th. And and, and that is the first time they have cracked the top 20 since 2017. So now the season's not over, so that could that could get worse or it could get better. But it's been since the 2017 season since they've cracked the, the top 20 when they finished 19th that year. So uh, that's huge. That is that is great. Um, they're still near the bottom in of the league in takeaways and, and sacks, but there's no denying that the unit has gotten better under Patrick Graham in year two. And I also forgot to mention there, uh, as far as points allowed per game, they are 18th right now, 18th. So inside the top 20 in, in points allowed as well. So really good things happening under Patrick Graham. The interesting thing will be what happens with Graham. It's very possible a new head coach is going to be brought in this next season. And we all know when that happens, generally that means an entire new coaching staff. So it's possible despite the progress that we've seen under Graham, that he could be gone. So I will be watching the progress on defense closely as the season comes to an end. That was number one. Number two, I want to see more growth and more development from Aiden O'Connell. In addition to the decision that has to be made on Antonio Pierce, 
there's going to be a call made on O'Connell. Has he and will he do enough to warrant a serious look as starting quarterback next year? And at this point, I've been impressed with O'Connell in certain aspects. I do feel he looks... He, he does not look like a rookie out there, I should say. I mean, at times he does. But overall, I mean, he's only made five starts. I think he looks much more mature out there. Uh, I do feel like he gives them a chance to win when he's out there. Uh, I do not want to see them go back to Garoppolo. I heard JT the Brick, uh, and this was, I believe this was following the Chiefs game, or maybe it was following the Miami game, but he was suggesting that maybe it was time to go back to Garoppolo. And I'm not sure if he's continuing to push that now, but because I haven't listened to him recently, but I did hear him say that. And and I disagreed. I, I think they need to stay with O'Connell and I hope they do. The thing with O'Connell is how much better can he be? I mean, he has limitations. Physically, we know he's limited. He doesn't move well. He doesn't fit that modern day quarterback that we're seeing that has the ability to to move around and, and make some plays with his legs. I'm not saying he's got to be Lamar Jackson, but it'd be nice if he was a little bit more mobile. Um, you know, he has adequate arm strength. He throws with great accuracy, I think. And 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 I think mentally, you know, upstairs, I, I do think he has what it takes. I think he's he's shown that he has a good understanding of the game. Um, he limited his turnovers against Kansas City. He showed improvements in that area. I, I do think he still needs to continue to work on getting the ball out and, and not holding it. And that's just something that I think comes with more repetition and more more time under center. Um, not taking those sacks. Um, but you you know, also you could say that about a lot of NFL quarterbacks. I mean, a lot of these quarterbacks, they just tend to hold the ball too long. So not necessarily something that's just, uh, you know, to him, we see this throughout the league. And then third, what I would like to see over the last five games is the continued development of the other young players on the roster in particular, Tyree Wilson. You know, we know that this season has not gone the way a lot of us would have liked from a seventh round, uh, excuse me, a seventh overall draft pick. We know the issues coming out of the draft. We know he had to miss time with the foot injury. But at this point in time, we should start to see some improvement. I would like to see him improve. Michael Mayer, second round draft pick, he's been a little bit more involved lately. You know, is he going to be somebody that the Raiders can count on uh, to build around and to, you know, a, a major piece for this offense. He's shown some signs. I want to see him continue to develop. Jacorian Bennett, he has been up and down all season long. Do they have a piece in him that they can that they can count on and, and to, to, to be a, a, a key component of this defense? Byron Young, again, a major disappointment this season. So, I want to see some of these young guys contribute more than what we have seen in the previous 12 games. They've got five games to get it turned around and, and, and to make more of an impact. And we hear that term, the hitting the rookie wall. Generally, sometimes you see these rookies not necessarily getting better towards the end of the season. Uh, they tend to slow down a little bit more. I hope that's not the case uh, with, with the Raiders rookies. And, you know, one of the rookies that I have not mentioned yet, Trey Tucker, you know, I was very critical of that pick 
all off season leading up, you know, to the season, uh, hasn't exactly made, you know, put his, his, uh, imprint into this offense he's made a couple plays here and there but you know is he something that again could be a a piece for this offense we know what he brings he's explosive he has deep speed it's a element that a lot of offenses need to have in the NFL but is he someone that's going to be around for a second contract or is he a guy that his time with the Raiders will be very short-lived and all this of course depends on who the head coach will be next year because you could bring in a whole new uh, set of coaches and it could either help or hurt these players tremendously. So uh, there's a lot of things involved here. Uh, But again, right now we know Pierce is in charge here the next five games. I want to see some of these young players get more involved and and, and give us fans something to be excited about uh, with with this year's draft picks. All right, guys, so those are some of my thoughts on what I'll be looking for uh, in the next five games. A lot of you guys commented on my my Twitter question with, you know, you want to see the Raiders play with heart. You want to see the Raiders win more games. You want to see uh, Pierce continue to develop as a head coach. A lot of you agreed with me with Aiden O'Connell and, and his development. So uh, similar thoughts out there from some of you guys. I appreciate everyone who uh, got back to me on the on the question. And you know, I always appreciate uh, the feedback when I put the questions out there, but I am going to step aside now, get to a quick break. And when I return, we're going to be joined by our guest, Matthew Collar, who covers the Vikings for purpleinsider.com. We're also going to talk to Matthew about his new book. Football is a numbers game. Don't go anywhere. You don't want to miss the conversation. You are listening to Just Pod Baby brought to you by sportsnot.com. And we are back here, segment number two of Just Pod Baby, week 14. The Raiders are taking on the Minnesota Vikings. And before we uh, go out to the guest line now and and, and bring in our uh, guest this week, I wanted to quickly mention something that has me a little bit concerned. I'm looking at the Thursday injury report. Max Crosby did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday. You know he's dealing with this knee injury. He played through it last week miraculously he played through it. He was listed as doubtful, I believe. He still played. I don't think he practiced at all that week. So it's possible that even if he doesn't practice on Friday, he could still be out there and play in this game. I was hoping that the week off would do him some good, but it looks like it might still be bothering him. Another one that is noteworthy is Colton Miller with the shoulder injury, did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday. So you're definitely going to want to keep a close eye on those two. Nothing really noteworthy uh, for the Vikings other than to say Justin Jefferson, who has missed the previous seven games with a hamstring injury, he is going to play this week against the Raiders. So they're going to have their hands full with him. That being said, I want to go out to the, the phones now and let's bring in our guest, who is uh, someone who grew up just outside of Buffalo, my neck of the woods. He now resides in Minnesota and covers the Vikings for purpleinsider.com. We are joined this week by Matthew Collar. And Matthew, we thank you for some time this evening, uh, and I hope you're doing well. I am. Anytime I can get a trip to uh, Las Vegas, mix in some football out there, yeah, it's, uh, it's not bad. There are worse things I could be doing. Absolutely. I'm sure the weather's going to be a little bit nicer out there in Las Vegas uh, 
this weekend, and, and I haven't been out there yet myself to see a game, but I hear the stadium, it, it's beautiful, rave review, so I, I hope you enjoy yourself out there. You know, Matthew, before we uh, jump into the matchup with the Raiders and the Vikings, I know you recently wrote a book. Uh, in fact, it, it just came out in October, this past October. I have not read it yet myself, but it, it sounds like a book that would be right up my alley. Uh, I'm going to tell my wife I want her to add it to my Christmas list. And I, I want to give you a few minutes to talk a little bit about the book. The title of the book is Football is a Numbers Game, Pro Football Focus, and How a Data-Driven Approach Shook Up the Sport. Can you give us just a little bit of a, a brief overview of what the readers can expect to learn from the book, obviously without giving away too much? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And uh, I'd like to think that it would be a good uh, holiday present for any football fan in your life. But, you know, in, in a, around 2021, uh, I had an idea to kind of write a book and thought about what do I want to do? You know, what, what would be an interesting story? And I've always infused my reporting with a lot of numbers and analytics. And so I've been using Pro Football Focus for a really long time. And I've gotten to know a lot of the people inside their building and kind of how their operation works and thought, you know, this would be a really cool story to dive into of where PFF came from, because everyone's citing their grades, citing their statistics all the time. Uh, but what I had no idea was the background story and how insane uh, the background story is that a random football fan from uh, England had an idea to start trying to look closer into the game because he basically just didn't believe a lot of the stuff that was being written about offensive line play, about this player's good at that or so forth, and started his own charting uh, just for fun, just be, just out of curiosity with a couple of his friends that he met on message boards. And then they started to build and build and eventually were contacted by the New York Giants about the data that they were posting on their little website and then once that happened, started to build and grow into a real company, into a, an NFL data company. So the grades and numbers that you see in the media are only a small percentage of what is actually happening inside the building. And then in 2014, Chris Collinsworth bought the company and it took it to a completely different level, uh, providing data for every college team uh, and then giving that college data to the NFL, which has completely changed the draft game inside NFL buildings. And so they gave me incredible access uh, to the story. I sat down with Chris Collinsworth, but also to the inside the NFL stuff of what is actually happening with the PFF data and the NFL, how it's influenced, just even how coaching is done uh, is massive, how it could influence the Hall of Fame in the future, where it fits into the analytics revolution inside the NFL. So it was a really cool, really cool project. And I think people who read it will find uh, a man named Neil Hornsby is the secret Billy Bean of football. So it was a very, very cool project to work on. Very, very interesting. I'm definitely going to make sure I get my hands on a copy of this. And you're right. I mean, just like the title says, uh, analytics and, and the data behind or involved in the game has really taken over. And, and we see it every week, whether it's a, a coach uh, looking at the analytics when deciding to go for it on fourth down, or I, I know I'm very active on social media as a fan, and you know I, sometimes I get involved in these these discussions with a, a, a fans, and we're, and we're using pro football focus grades to kind of you know support our argument, you know, for or against a, a certain player's performance. Um, so yeah, very very interesting topic, and and just a really big part of the the football of the game right now. 
again, with the holidays coming up, I, I think it would be a great gift for uh, all of you out there listening to, to get that football fan in your life, or you can tell your wife to add it to your wish list like I'm going to do. Uh, Matthew, I, I do see the book is available on Amazon. Is there anywhere else that uh, where we can find the book? Uh, I'd say that's probably the best place. I mean, if you just Google football is a numbers game, it'll come up, uh, and I'm sure that it's in multiple places, that's usually where I end up linking to because that's where we get everything now, right? <laughs> yeah, and one other uh, thing I want to throw out there, you mentioned uh, in the process of you writing the book, you got to know some of the people at Pro Football Focus, and I do see one of the chapters here, uh, The Ballad of Austin Gale. Uh a lot of Raider fans are familiar with him because he's a big Raiders fan. I've actually had him on the podcast uh, a couple of times, not recently, but a couple of years ago, I, I had Austin on the show and I've had other guys from pro football focus on the show as well. So a little bit of a Raiders connection there as well. Once again, the title is called football is a numbers game, pro football focus and how a data driven approach shook up the sport. Go check it out. A great stocking stuffer. And please uh, do me a favor and support Matthew's work. Let's talk a little Raiders and Vikings now, if you don't mind. Uh, the big news out of Minnesota this week, there was a couple of things. Uh, Justin Jefferson is going to make his return after missing seven weeks with a hamstring injury. And then also, head coach Kevin O'Connell says he is sticking with Joshua Dobbs as his starting quarterback. I want to start with Dobbs. What do you think about the choice to go with Dobbs? And, and do you believe that he still gives them the best opportunity to win right now? Yeah, I think it was the right move. I mean, especially when you look at the other options, uh, Nick Mullins was briefly a uh, Las Vegas Raider, and they decided just to move on from him. Uh, so uh, there's a reason for that. And Nick Mullins is a quality backup quarterback that if you had to play for two or three weeks, you could survive. But when you're talking about over a half a season, uh, and he's been dealing with a back injury for basically the entire year and hasn't really even completely fully practiced, uh, that's pretty tough for Nick Mullins to be asked to drag you into the playoffs. And then their other option is Jaron Hall, who played two series against Atlanta and then got hurt. And, you know, he had to recover from a concussion. Plus, he has essentially no experience in the NFL whatsoever as a rookie, and he was coming from BYU, where it's not even remotely reflective of an NFL offense, didn't exactly have a great preseason or training camp. I mean, it's not like there's some other guy on the roster that you could turn to that's going to give you a better chance than a player who's started a lot of football games, is very, very athletic, and is a great playmaker at times, as we've seen through the first couple of weeks with Josh Dobbs. And really, when you look at the accumulation of what he's done since he got here, it's three pretty good games and one absolute stinker, which, look, that's what you're going to get sometimes when you have a backup quarterback. But I also think, too, that uh, when Kevin O'Connell looked back at what happened against Chicago, I think he realized that it wasn't just Josh Dobbs. I mean, one of his interceptions hit Jordan Addison right in the face. I mean, that couldn't have been a better throw, and it was just dropped and turned into an interception. Uh, there were a couple other tip balls that turned into picks. And he, I think he also was asking him to do a little too much as far as when, you know, pressure was coming. Uh, Dobbs may not have known all the answers because he's still very new to this offense. And O'Connell was very reflective on that when he talked to us. And he said, I need to do a better job to put him in positions to succeed. And, and we talk about the PFF numbers. 
Josh Dobbs has been terrible in his career when he's throwing intermediate passing between 10 and 20 yards. That's where Kirk Cousins was at his absolute best. Cousins had a 125 quarterback rating when he was throwing in the intermediate routes. So you're talking about a very different skill set. And I think that he was asking Dobbs to do something with a lot of those types of routes that require really good timing, really good footwork, good eyes, manipulating the defense that you expect from a franchise quarterback, but you really shouldn't expect from a backup. And I also think, too, that the opposing teams started to figure out how they could take advantage of Josh Dobbs wanting to scramble and escape the pocket if what he is looking for isn't there right away. And they did a great job of containing it. So they had a bye week to look everything over and try to make the most out of it. And uh, to me, it's the only chance that they have whatsoever of making the playoffs is to stick with Josh Dobbs. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. Both both Raiders, uh, the Raiders and the Vikings, are coming off the bye week, and and I do think that uh, you know it's kind of an interesting scenario. The Raiders have a, a new coaching staff or a head coach, a new offensive coordinator, and a rookie quarterback who have you know been there for four weeks, and and the Vikings uh, they have a, a starting quarterback who's kind of new to their system. So I do think that the bye week was very very beneficial to both teams. We'll see which team could can take advantage of that uh, more so. And one of the other things that you commented on that I kind of want to follow up with, you mentioned um, Dobbs seeing a lot of pressure. And I was reading one of your recent articles that's on purpleinsider.com and you pointing out, uh, again, talking about data and interest, uh, and, and numbers, one of the, the numbers that you pointed out, and I think my listeners will, will, will be interested to hear this, you wrote that opposing team's rush um, – rushes they've been getting to Dobbs over over the past few weeks they've been doing a really good job of that and and according to pro football focus he has been pressured on 40 percent of dropbacks since arriving to the Vikings and 25 percent of his pressures have come because he has held on to the ball too long or scrambled into pressure which is the fourth most in the NFL uh, since he took over in week nine and that kind of goes to your point of him not being real familiar with the offense. Now, as the Vikings enter this game with the Raiders, who have Max Crosby, who's who's one of the uh, best pass rushers in the NFL, is this a matchup that concerns you? And, and how do you feel the Vikings' offensive tackles uh, stack up with a guy like Crosby? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, just because of what you mentioned, some of those numbers, like anytime Josh Dobbs is your quarterback, everything concerns you. I mean, he turns the ball over a lot. Uh, he, you know, has no career history of winning anything. And, uh, he has like struggled, uh, as you mentioned, those stats with, uh, holding onto the ball too long and taking sacks. So even when the offensive line has been good, it's not been perfect. And then a few times when it was not good against Chicago, it was a huge problem for, for Josh Dobbs. Now the Vikings do have in my mind, one of the best offensive lines for pass protection in the entire NFL. I mean, elite tackles on both sides. Uh, Crosby versus Brian O'Neill could be a phenomenal matchup to watch. Those are two of the best at their craft. And Crosby isn't at 100%, uh, maybe coming off of a break there. Both of them will be more up to speed. I know that Crosby's battling through something. But, I mean, you know, this is a defense for the Raiders that is definitely improved and are not sort of last year's Raiders that you would just expect to be horrendous every week. At the same time, it's also not San Francisco that you're facing or one of the best defenses in the NFL. Like they've got a few, a few players. Every team has a few players. I mean, Chicago has a few players. Jalen Johnson, Montez Sweat, 
and you can't let them game wreck, which the Vikings have been really good at that so far this season outside of Montez Sweat uh, for Chicago, who was just excellent against them. But for the most part, when you have tackles of this caliber, I mean, they have an argument for the best tackle duo in the NFL. You've got a pretty good chance to protect your quarterback. And I, I think that, you know, that's where it comes down to also, uh, you know, Kevin O'Connell scheming a little bit more to use Josh Dobbs' legs, scheming a little bit more to get rid of the ball quickly. So he, so when you're not saying, like, it just depends on whether you can actually block Max Crosby for an entire game or not, and that's what's going to make the difference whether he turns it over. Like, also, the other thing is, too, the Raiders don't do a great job against the run uh, statistically, and the Vikings have just refused to have success on the ground over the last two years since Kevin O'Connell got here. I mean, at some point, they, with Dobbs, are going to have to figure out that you've got to run the ball a little bit more. You've got to run the ball a little bit more successfully. So I think that they have to go from, hey, let's see if Josh Dobbs can sort of emulate Kirk Cousins but faster, to, no, we've got to remember that this is a backup quarterback, and you have to treat the game plan like he's a backup quarterback. Our guest this week on Just Pod Baby is Matthew Collar, who covers the Vikings for PurpleInsider.com. You can follow Matthew on X at Matthew Collar, that's C-O-L-L-E-R, if you want to get some more information on his book as well. Uh, we mentioned Justin Jefferson is going to make his return this week, and you know, you sound like you got a pretty good scouting report on the Raiders. You mentioned not very good against the run, but one area where they've been pretty good this year on defense is is against the pass, only allowing 217 yards per game. And, and, you know, we've discussed it. The Vikings often struggled badly in that loss to the Bears. Are you expecting the connection with, with Jefferson and Dobbs, you know, to, to happen immediately, hit the ground running this week versus Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of a funny thing, right? Like players talk about it all the time, the connection and being on the same page and the chemistry and everything else. And yet, you know, Dobbs kind of came out right away and had good chemistry with his wide receivers. And we only start questioning that when he has a bad game. And that, you know, after the first couple of games, we're going, wow, this is amazing. He's really on the same page with his receivers until he wasn't. So it's a little bit of a hard thing uh, to figure out. But here's what I do know is that uh, if you were throwing the ball or I was throwing the ball, I'm pretty sure Justin Jefferson gives you the best chance to catch it in the world, right? I mean, there's just, I think that a guy like that transcends that conversation about chemistry because the ball doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfectly on time. It doesn't have to be in the perfect location. And it doesn't even have to be single coverage. He doesn't have to be open. Uh, They could throw it short to him, and he'll succeed. Intermediate, deep down the field, they can have him throw the football. Like There is nothing that Justin Jefferson can't do on a football field. So I look at it as it should only be better. And that hasn't always applied. Like, there are some games where opposing defenses have found ways to take Jefferson out. But if you can have success without him, and then you saw other players start to emerge like uh, Jordan Addison, like Brandon Powell uh, outside of Jefferson, it, it sort of stands to reason to me that it can only be better. Now, it's not always been perfect while well, he's been in there with Kirk Cousins, but it certainly can't hurt when you've got a backup quarterback to be able to push the ball. I mean, if you look at what Jake Browning did the other night, I think, what was it, 149 yards went to 
you know, Jamar Chase. So just going to the uh, great, great, great wide receiver over and over again seems like a pretty sound idea to me. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a, a welcome to get him back for, for Vikings fans for sure. I've got one more for you before I, I get you out of here. I, I want to jump over to the Vikings defense real quick. 13th in yards allowed per game, 8th in points allowed per game. This is going to be a tough test uh, for a Raiders offense that has really struggled all year long, despite uh, regardless of who the coach was or who the quarterback was, Brian For- uh, Flores is, is the mastermind behind this Vikings defense. I was reading an article in ESPN uh, where Flores was talking about the scheme that he's he's kind of crafted up this year, uh, which incorporates a version of the defense that was popularized by uh, Pat Nardozzi, uh, from Pittsburgh at the at the collegiate level, uh, what, what could you share with us about Flores' scheme this year and, and some of the things that he likes to do with this Vikings defense that we can expect to see on on Sunday? Yeah, it is it is very creative, and I think the best way to describe it is that the opposing quarterback does not know whether it's going to be one of the two extremes, meaning if it's going to be a blitz that sends a bunch of people at him or sends nobody at him. And they try to make it look exactly the same. So they will have people up at the line of scrimmage. They are using a hybrid safety linebacker in Josh Metellus who can play both types of roles. Harrison Smith has been up in the box more than he's ever been and at the line of scrimmage more than he's ever been. And so they are using all sorts of different types of personnel. Uh, I believe in one game they used 19 different players on defense. So when you're trying to identify who they're using, how they're using them, when they're lining up, when they're going to blitz, when they're going to drop everybody back. It's really tough to figure out. I mean, like if you were talking about a defense that, you know, just shows up and rushes four and drops back in cover two or something, like if you've got a lot of talent on defense, you could probably do that. But I think Brian Flores understood that he has players who have specific talents, but it's not like he has a bunch of superstars who can do anything So he's worked really hard to find what guys specifically do well and then play to it. But I think the biggest thing is just when there's a bunch of people walking around at the line of scrimmage before every play, a quarterback has a really tough time identifying who's coming at him, who's not coming at him. Is it, we've seen defensive tackles drop back in coverage. We've, I mean, we've seen all sorts of stuff uh, from Brian Flores and it's really different each week and there's a different game plan and there's different personnel each week. You know, one week we'll, ha- we'll see one cornerback play, and then the next week he won't play a whole lot. And Brian Flores will just say, like, that's what was best for the game plan. And it's, it's been a very interesting approach, and it's gotten so much out of a roster that I don't think anybody believed was going to be a top-10 defense. I mean, when you look at losing Zadarius Smith, uh, you look at losing Eric Hendricks, Patrick Peterson. I mean, these are big names off of the defense. And yet they've done much better this year. And I think that that absolutely can be traced uh, to Brian Flores' scheme. Yeah, I mean, I, I, based on what you're telling me, uh, I, I imagine th- that would be hard on any quarterback, uh, let alone uh, a rookie quarterback making his uh, sixth start this year. But that is going to be the the uh, task that Aiden O'Connell will be up against this weekend when he faces the Vikings. Matthew Collar, everybody, uh, from purpleinsider.com. Matthew, we, we can't thank you enough for all the time you've given us. Please go out there, uh, get a copy of his book. Football is a uh, numbers game, pro football focus, and how a data-driven approach shook up the sport. You can find it on amazon.com. Matthew, enjoy your time out there in Las Vegas this weekend and, and keep up the great work. Happy holidays. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, there goes Matthew Collar from purpleinsider.com. My two big takeaways from the conversation, okay? And now I have not spent a lot of time watching the Vikings this year, so I learned a lot from our conversation there when he was talking about the Vikings defense. Number one, takeaway, and I think this is going to be a key factor in the football game. He talked to us about the Brian Flores scheme, how it's very sophisticated, how it's designed on making things look the same, but you know, you never know when guys are coming. You never know when they're going to play coverage. Being able to disguise things um, is what he said. I wonder how the young Aiden O'Connell will respond to this. This is going to be something that, as I said, is is got to be hard on a, a veteran quarterback, let alone a quarterback making his sixth start. So I think that is going to be one big key factor in this game. The Vikings have a good defense. They're very good, as I mentioned in the conversation. And uh, this is going to be one of the more difficult games, I think, that that O'Connell is going to face based on the scheme and some of the things that Brian Flores likes to do. And then number two, my takeaway from the conversation is which team coming off the bye week is going to be more prepared? Which team is going to take advantage of the extra week to prepare it? We talked about it with Matthew. Interesting situation when you look at what the te- both teams are were going through. Uh, Dobbs only being with the Vikings for a short time. Did he use this week to get on the same page with his coach? Did they self-scout? Was the extra week enough time for Kevin O'Connell to kind of figure out what Dobbs does best and how to utilize his skill set in a better way? And then the same... Thing when you look at the Raiders, they've had the extra week now. They've had four weeks of a new head coach, of a new offensive coordinator. Did they use their time wisely? And are they going to, you know, change things up a little bit to kind of uh, emphasize and, and uh, do some of the things that with O'Connell, you know, that he does well and what the offense does well? So I think whichever team utilized the bye week better and has their team ready to go in this game will determine uh, the outcome in this game. So those are just some of my thoughts on the conversation with Matthew Collar there. I thought it was he had a lot of great insight. So I, I do hope you go out there and follow him on Twitter at Matthew Collar and you check out his book as well. That does it for this week, guys. Until the next time, I am your host, Evan Grote. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game on Sunday. And as always, just win, baby.